This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, April 30th, 2023. And we are joined today by the man who still has the blue check mark, Chris Gullo. Good, good morning, everybody. And another man who does not have a blue check mark, like me, Jesse Collins. Hello. No, my application for the blue check mark was still being processed when uh, Elon bought Twitter. So I think that was the end of my ability to get a blue check mark. Yes. If you, if you have $8, though, you could have yeah. one. But anyway, we talked about that last week. Um, we have some things to discuss. The, the new lawsuit against WB from a former writer uh, alleging racial discrimination, wrongful termination. We'll get to that. Um, Comcast had an earnings report. We have an update on Peacock subscribers. Uh, we have uh, some quick infographics on U.S. media rights values across, across the space, uh, as, as one might say. And we'll look into whether Vince has actually tanked business already. We will examine that. Um, and we have the biggest event of all. It will be last. It's the main event, so you better stay for the whole program here. It is time today for the WrestleNomics draft. What does that mean? These two individuals have only recently found out. But more of you will learn in the moments to come today. So We can't start until Cletus, the uh, Fox Sports football robot, uh, is here because he's in my draft room. What, what is Cletus, this Fox, Fox Sports robot? He's like he's the mascot for like Fox football. He's a robot. And during the uh, one uh, one of the WWE drafts they've done in the past, they had like the war rooms from like USA and Fox. Yes. Like they actually had the robot like was in the Fox war room, and he was like really celebrating when they drafted like Tamina Snuka or, or whoever was being drafted to SmackDown. Like, okay, if you want to participate in it with a super chat today, you are encouraged to do so. If you have a question or a comment. Um, any, any big news from the NFL draft? Uh, the Bills took a tight end. Why? Uh, Don't we already have a, a good tight yeah, end? Yeah, just, just another our, weapon, though. But he's inconsistent in catching the ball. <laughs> uh, he's all around a great player, but uh, they, they wanted another weapon for Josh Allen. Um, still didn't really address that number two wide receiver spot, but, you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And Bill Belichick, the master strategist, what did he do with the draft? Uh, apparently, players didn't want to play for him. <laughs> I'm not a draft. I'm not a draft Nick. I honestly don't care at all about like f- following the draft or having an opinion. Like I know anything about these players that they drafted. I am told that the for their first round pick, they took a cornerback named Christian Gonzalez, and I was told that he fell in the draft, and it was a huge steal that the Patriots were able to get him. He was not um, happy though. I'll pay attention when, when he was like, drafted. He looked very upset. <laughs> drafted by them. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's that's a real thing. That's true. Um, they took a kicker uh, in the fourth rounds. They've taken some old linemen and some defensive players. Patriots rarely draft skill position players very highly, um, so it's usually just a bunch of guys. And I'm not going to pretend to know a lot about, you know, the quality of like 
uh, Marte Mapu, uh, linebacker from Sacramento State. I'm not going to act like I watched a lot of Sacramento State football uh, this what, past what, fall. Uh, what conference do they play in Sacramento State? So I know in basketball, I'm pretty sure they play in the Big West. Um, I know it's they're, they're not a Division One uh, program for football. They're probably like whatever Division One AA is. Drafted. It's not Division Two. It's pretty. I, I'd imagine that they play in the. I don't know what it's called now. It used to FCS. be called Division One AA, and then I think it was called it was called like the College Football Bowl Subdivision. It's like a weird cross between Division One and Division. And if you II. wanted to watch that on television, what what network would you watch that on? I would Public assume access? definitely ESPN yeah. Plus has a lot of those One okay. uh, AA uh, games. So I would imagine that e- the ESPN Plus does a lot of that stuff where they have a lot of um, like very niche sports contents um so they have like all of the smaller like all of the small uh smaller conferences in college that don't have like really big uh, you know television rights like the big 12 or the big 10 or the sec those are almost all on espn plus um and they cover like a lot of sports like you could go watch like you know women's college volleyball you know between lafayette and drexel university and that's probably on ESPN plus. Okay. Well, with that, we, we will commence uh, three white guys talking about a racism lawsuit. Um, if you want to read Chris Ely's uh, opinion article on WrestleNomics.com, that is up now where he's talking about uh, this, this story as well as just WWE's history uh, with talent who are people of color and how they have been portrayed on the screen, which will be relevant to this case uh, as we summarize it here. So, this was filed, I believe, on Monday, and uh, I'm supposed to be checking Pacer. I told myself I'm going to check Pacer, which is a, a lawsuit uh, filing system, every day. I should be checking it every day, but I missed this. We, we learned about this on Wednesday after it was probably sitting there for uh, a day or two. Uh, but former W writer Brittany Abrahams is suing the company as well as the individual staff that you can see on the screen here. So that is Vince McMahon, Stephanie McMahon. Uh, and other members of the writing staff for the creative team, Chris Dunn, Ryan Callahan, Jennifer Pepperman, Christine Lebrano, Mike Heller. Uh, she's suing all those individuals as well as the company itself. Uh, she alleges discriminatory, discriminatory treatment, harassment, hostile work environment, wrongful termination, unlawful retaliation due to her race, color, and gender. Uh, Abrahams, who is black, says she was wrongfully fired purportedly for taking a commemorative chair at WrestleMania in 2022. She alleges that the reasoning was a pretext, and her termination was actually because uh, of retaliation for pushing back against racist creative ideas. Besides WWE, the complaint is uh, being filed against uh, – I just said that. Um, have I pasted the entire article in these, in these notes? Um, she describes working with Bianca Belair and her interactions with fellow writers uh, as well. So we'll go to, to these various anecdotes that are brought up in the filing. Uh, she alleges – that Chris Dunn intended uh, Bianca Belair to, to say, quote, uh-uh, don't make me take off my earrings and beat your ass, end quote, which are lines based upon uh, cruel, ugly stereotypes of dark-skinned black women, she alleges. Uh, the plaintiff emailed the, the lead writer of SmackDown, Ryan Callahan, uh, and she wrote to him, I know I'm new and I'm not trying to be disrespectful or step on Dunn's or anyone's toes, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Miss Belair's scene includes racial jargon and offensive stereotypes, particularly her go-home line. 
Uh, Abrams asked how to move forward with her complaint, but Ryan Callahan, again, who is the lead writer of SmackDown still to this day, um, some of these writers are former writers at this point, but a few of them are still with the company. Uh, Callahan never responded to her complaint, according to Abrahams. Uh, In conversation with Bianca Belair the following day, Bianca Belair informed the plaintiff, Abrahams, that she told Dunn three different times that she didn't want to say that line, but he never listens to me. He puts that line in every week. And WWE kept the discriminatory line in the script, she alleges. Uh, Then we move on to Reggie. It was discussed in WWE's writer slack uh, before a show that a new wrestler, Reggie, would dress in drag, complete with wig and tights, quote, so he could partner with Carmella, a female wrestler, in a tag match against other female wrestlers, end quote. Uh, Abraham's co-worker, Andrea Listenberger, who was a writer at the time, responded to the thread, observing that putting a straight black man in drag might perpetuate harmful stereotypes that would offend viewers. WWE eventually scrapped the discriminatory pitch, but only in response to a white Caucasian individual's protected conduct in the form of Listenberger's complaint. Then Apollo Crews uh, was scripted to speak with an exaggerated Nigerian accent, uh, despite Abraham's complaining about it. Uh, in or around the spring of 2021, Ryan Callahan pitched that a white Caucasian male wrestler with a hunting gimmick, Shane Thorne, uh, would, would have that gimmick and would hunt a black male wrestler for fun. Uh, the complaint says, in a nutshell, the said hunting gimmick pitch was for uh, Thorne and Reggie was, since, was, quote, since Shane is Australian, we should make him a crocodile hunter, and instead of hunting crocodiles, he hunts people, end quote. Holding Reggie captive in cages was also discussed. Uh, Abrahams again objected to her superior's racially motivated misconduct, specifically stating that a gimmick where a white man hunts a black African-American man for sport is racist. Uh, Ryan Callahan is alleged to have laughed and sarcastically responded, oh, is that a bad thing? Afterwards, uh, the plaintiff spoke to another writer, Brian Parisi, uh, who revealed that he agreed with the plaintiff, but that the pitch was racist, uh, that the pitch was racist, but that he felt too nervous to speak up about it. Um, And then we go to an interaction that Abrahams says she had with Jennifer Pepperman, who is another writer who is still with the company. Uh, according to the, to the plaintiff, Pepperman discriminatorily treated her and other black and African-American W employees com- uh, poorly compared to other similarly situated white and Caucasian counterparts. Pepperman routinely and unjustifiably raised her voice, Abraham says, and made rude comments about the plaintiff and other black and African-American W employees. Pepperman would snap at plaintiff and her similarly situated black and African-American counterparts or, de- or deliberately berate them in front of everyone else, uh, despite... Abraham's complaining about this, she says. WWE failed to take any immediate action or corrective response. This, uh, in and around November 2021, a black female writer's assistant was fired after W after reporting WWE's lead writer Ryan Callahan uh, former uh, created a racially hostile environment against African American employees. In the course of an investigation in response to that, Abraham's described two HR discrimination and hostile work environment related to Pepperman. Abraham's described racist and sexist pitches from Callahan, but no action was taken by WWE in her view to correct that. Uh, Abraham's and another female black writer, Kyla Silvers, pitched a storyline involving Aaliyah, Mansoor, and Angel Garza, in which Mansoor would have a secret he's keeping from Aaliyah. Ryan Callahan suggested, according to her, how about his secret is he's behind the 9-11 attacks? Silvers nervously laughed and said, let's not do that. Let's talk about the other part of the pitch. Callahan is alleged to have said, oh, I guess you're the lead writer now. Another writer, Mike Mike Heller, shared a sexist pitch for a Muslim female wrestler, wherein the said female wrestler lacked authority over her own body and mind. 
Heller's pitch included Anil Garza being forward and aggressive in his efforts to date Aaliyah, Aaliyah being easily swayed by Anhel's evil tactics, and Aaliyah being confused about which guy she should date, oscillating between two men until the end of the storyline. Uh, this led to a meeting between Abrahams and Christine Lebrano, who is the senior vice president of creative writing operations. She is still in that role, as far as we know, um, where Lebrano met with Abrahams and Silvers and downplayed Heller's and Callahan's discriminatory remarks. Allegedly, she says that, she heard it was a joke and wacky things are said in the writer room all the time. Uh, when the plaintiff indicated that th that doesn't make it okay, Lebrano is alleged to have responded. I know, but look at the waves we're making in the company. Four years ago, no woman worked on the creative writers team. Uh, and she ad advised the plaintiff to be careful to pick and choose your battles. Uh, then at, at WrestleMania, just over a year ago in 2022, uh, she took a commemorative chair from the floor this is the, the WrestleMania commemorative chair that we're seeing on the screen here, I suppose. Uh, many other writers took chairs. They were not punished. She was fired as a result of this. She claims that this is a pretext for firing her as retaliation to her various complaints about racist pitches and other pitches that she complained about. Um, She's seeking an award of damages in an amount to be determined at trial. So she's not naming an amount of money that she's looking for. So that's, that's where we are. She's being defended by the Cochran firm. Yes, the, the, the firm that was founded by Johnny Cochran of OG Simpson trial fame. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how W responds to this. Um, there may be pressure to settle this because of the merger is coming up. W may want this, this litigation, maybe other litigation, maybe the MLW litigation for that matter, um, off the books before the merger is complete. But we'll see. Any thoughts on this? I think this? there's... Well, I think there's two different primary ways people talk about this or what I've seen people talk about this. And we could talk about it from like a legal sense of like, oh, do we think that this will hold up in court? What do we think a judge would say about this? Will WWE settle those kind of aspects of it? Um, which is a complicated legal matter. And I'm probably not the best person to be judging that. Um, but we can also talk about this in a way of like, what does this say about WWE? What does it say about their writing team? Um, some of these pitches that you described, some of them we didn't see on television, right? So they got kiboshed at some point. We didn't see Mansoor saying he was responsible for 9-11. We didn't see, um, you know, the Elia, uh Hector Carza angle. Um, we did see we didn't Apollo see Cruz using the exaggerated oh, right. accent. We did see Apollo Cruz, And there are... We did see Other Bianca Belair using that line. I mean, I haven't gone back in, in the video archives, but she alleges that it did. It was uttered on the air. Yeah, we we've um, and we've we've heard of other stories and things like that. Just in recent years, um, there was the the Jordan Miles T-shirt, the ACH T-shirt um, from a number a few years ago in NXT. Um, there is, uh, I thought. Um, I don't know his last, I can't pronounce his last name, so I apologize, but K Kazim Kaz from the Masked Man show on The Ringer, who used to be a writer for WWE, told a story about how um, when Leo Rush was originally going to be paired with Bobby Lashley, they wanted to call, they were referring to Leo Rush as his, Bobby Lashley's handler. Um, and Kaz told a story about how he went to Vince McMahon and had to argue on behalf of why they shouldn't call him a handler and why instead to call him a hype man. And then he had to explain in great detail what hype man means to Vince. Um, but there are plenty of incidents 
that we can point to and say that maybe the writing staff and by extension, Vince McMahon, who is ultimately overseeing and responsible for the writing staff, do not have the most racially sensitive um, ideas. And this goes back to the history of pro wrestling, which is always coasted off of stereotypes, usually far after the rest of entertainment has kind of shed coasting off of those stereotypes. And it's just really evident in Vince's historical creative that when Vince wants you to get a personality, when Vince wants to get you a new character, he often leans on cultural, racial, and national stereotypes for that person. And we've seen that over and over again. Um, even just looking at the main roster now, okay, the um, you know Legato del Fantasma, right? They're in NXT. The gimmick is they're kind of like South American and Latin American businessmen. They come up to the main roster and now they have to be the LWO. They got to be the Latino World Order and they got to wear these Mexican t shirts that have the Mexican flag on them because they have to be more outwardly Mexican because that's how Vince sees talent. And this is the um, Borderline you know, era where Triple H has more creative influence than ever and Vince, right. Vince is back, but perhaps you know, not in as much, much influence as he was in before you know, last year, July. Walter can't be Walter. He has to be. Gunther, and he has to be more German because Walter wasn't German enough of a name. He's got to have a more obviously German name because he's got to be more German. I mean, right um, here in the context of this lawsuit, you have Shane Thorne being who's Australian has exactly. to be given an Australian crocodile instead of a right, crocodile he, hunter. He'll hunt people, right? He like he's they even have you seen? There's a photo of him at a house show, kind of wearing the getup of that yeah. character. Um, that that's been going around of him. Yeah, he's got to be the crocodile hunter. Um, I mean, I, I would so that's, that's the the what, what what's alleged in this filing in this complaint. Um, as as far as yes, there's a lot of ideas here that didn't make it to screen. Now she's she's complaining too about how her criticism or her her response to these ideas was was not taken seriously. Um, but it, it's not surprising that these this sort of thing would be happening in the writer's room that that is led by ultimately by Vince McMahon. It doesn't sound like Vince McMahon was in these rooms, but he's the head of creative and that's who they're working for. Um, and in, in recent years, we've seen you know, Jinder Mahal in 2017. Uh, he as, as Chris Ely wrote in his article that just went up this morning, he sort of had to be a, a, a heel because he was Indian or that, that was his, you know, he was, he was basically an evil foreigner in 2017. And uh, he used, you know, he, he did racist things towards, you know, said racist things towards Shinsuke Nakamura in the course of their program working together. Um, I believe Vince himself, I believe the year is 2015, he, he does a promo with Roman Reigns where he, where he tells Roman Reigns as, as a way of getting heel heat, you're, you're one generation removed from having a bone in your nose. So um, it's, it's believable that there's, there's some sort of cultural, systemic influence in WWE's creative that allows for racist ideas it's still you know vince longs for the days when this was more permissible that you could use racist tropes and racist stereotypes to get a response from an audience i think i think i mean vince i would sum up vince's creative as vince wants to see vince is not like pop culturally literate at all um and i feel like his idea of characters are rough archetypes that would exist in like a 1950s cartoon. Um, and so everyone just has to lean into like this lowest con common denominator archetype. And if you're 
uh, not a white wrestler from America, it's almost always going to be based on your heritage or your culture or what makes you different. And I guess there's a difference between, you know, right. Vince is Vince racist, right? Or Vince has, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. is a big idol of Vince. Every year he, always he plays play. a Martin Luther King Jr. video on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So, yeah. And so like, so like is Vince, Vince can't be racist, but I definitely think that the sensibilities are just from a creative end are not there to reach a 2023 audience. And that's why we see, you know, we can talk about the pitch ideas, but we see so much of it make television. Um, and the Apollo Crews one is a great example because now we have some evidence to see how that would, if there was pushback in the writer's room against the Apollo Crews thing, which it seems like there was, if you believe this lawsuit and yet that still made television. Um, and there's still stuff on the on the show today that you could point to. Um, yeah, I mean, Akira Tozawa. Remember when they were doing the ninja gimmick like a couple years ago too? That's another example. Yeah, another one. Yeah, it's just. I mean, it, even like every British wrestler has to be a king or a snob at some point. Almost every foreign wrestler has to cut the Jinder Mahal promo where they're like, "You Americans, you know, you know, you're so gross and filthy." And um, it's not good creative. It doesn't really get anyone over. And that's the other aspect of this that I can't help but. When I'm reading about like the Angel Garza, Mansoor, Aliyah angle, and I'm like, if this was on television, none of these people would get over doing it. It wouldn't help any of these people actually become like wrestling stars. But this is what they're spending their time on in the writers' room discussing. Um, Are you familiar with the term flanderization, right? Right. It's when a character man. devolves into being um, kind of a one-note joke, right? Which again, I'm not the biggest Simpsons fan, but. But purportedly, you know, Ned Flanders became more reductive and and more more simple and, and dumber as as the seasons went on in The Simpsons. And I think there's something very similar in in Vince's approach to creative, and that you he and he, I probably views it as a marketing strategy. I have to use the most basic base thing that I see in this person, and I see that as the most marketable thing about them. And WWE has had an increasingly diverse roster. And I think that has, in, in in some ways, further encouraged Vince to rely on stereotypes and f- further increase the hazards for him to to put stereotypes on the screen, um, despite sort of wider culture moving in the other direction. And there was this, you know, I, I thought it was really obvious when they were pushing Drew McIntyre a couple of years ago. And, you know, he won the title at WrestleMania and it was the pandemic era and he kind of didn't have a fair chance at it. But there was definitely a point where you could tell where Vince was like, people got to believe in Drew more. He's got to have more of a character. And so what was that character? He had to become more Scottish. He had to paint his face like Braveheart. He had to get a big sword. He had to tell Scottish folk stories in his promos. He just had to become more of this one thing that Vince viewed him as. Yeah, he had to wear a kilt. Like, and he's still going on right now. It's he couldn't just be like a normal person from Scotland that you would actually believe is a regular person. He had to become this cartoon character based on his national heritage. Apollo Cruz is the same thing. Uh, Apollo needs a new character. I don't know what he's supposed to be. So, oh, what's that? He's Nigerian American. Well, now we're going to lean into that, and he's going to be carrying a spear, and he's going to be talking in a false Nigerian accent. And he's going to have a Nigerian drum match at WrestleMania. It's the same. I mean, there's there's tons I mean, of the brawl and bruise with WWE's creative. They're supposed to be like Irish hooligans in a, in a bar, like stereotypes. Yeah, they just – again, they devolved to the national stereotype. There was something else in that lawsuit that I found kind of interesting. Um, and it was uh, when regarding Bianca Belair. I think the plaintiff says that 
other writers had spoken that they have a hard time writing for Bianca Belair. Prior like, to writing sure the scene, many of, many of the W writers commonly complained that they didn't know what to do with Ms. Belair. Right. They don't really understand her character. They don't understand what to do with her kind of personality. Um, because, right, the big one of the big pushbacks of that earrings line was that it would make – Bianca said that would make her sound too ghetto. Right. And that's not Bianca Belair's character. Just because she's a black woman doesn't mean she has to talk like that. Um, and it kind of shows – you know, the lack of perspective in the writer's room that maybe if there's only one black female writer or two black female writers that not the entire writing staff is maybe not going to know what to do with the black female wrestler outside of very basic stereotypes. Um, and it it's kind of reflective in like what Bianca Belair has actually been doing for the past year where, yes, she has been protected. Yes, she has won all our matches and she's been champion for a year. But she's not necessarily being engaged in like the most interesting storylines or feuds. I think her whole feud with damage control uh, has been going on forever and has been largely disappointing. Her build up for her WrestleMania match against Asuka didn't necessarily have a ton of creative juice put into it. It's kind of obvious that the writing staff or whoever is in charge of creative in WWE these days does not have like a ton of awesome ideas for Bianca Belair. And she's kind of just treading water, despite the fact that she's still being protected and presented at a high level, but there's clearly not a lot of creative uh, direction put for her character in her feuds. Well, again, we have the, uh, the article that's up for free right now on wrestlemics.com uh, by Chris Ely talking about this subject. We urge you to, to check that out. Um, I think ev- everyone in the chat is, is in deep agreement with everything that we're saying. So we appreciate everyone in the chat. Uh, so we will move to the Comcast earnings report. Uh, Comcast reported this past Thursday their first quarter earnings. Um, I'm going to reference a summary by John Pollock of Post Wrestling. Uh, Peacock is still losing a lot of money, of course, but Peacock subscribers are up slightly sequentially. 22 million subscribers, uh, which is year over year is up a lot. It's up 60% from the prior Q1. Um, that was a Q1 that had the Super Bowl in it. Unlike this year, it was a Q1 that had the Olympics in it, unlike this year. Uh, but Peacock remains a major source of losses for the company, with the streamer losing approximately $704 million throughout the quarter, although its revenue increased 45% to $685. So they're $685 million in revenue, $705 million in, in expenses. So it's losing. So it's not expenses. It's losing. $705 million. So their expenses are probably the combination of those two, over a billion dollars. Um, previously, Comcast had projected $3 billion in losses for 2023, uh, which represents the peak year for losses for Peacock. So this is happening, of course, while Comcast is also a cable company. They reported some losses in their cable subscribers, as they have been. That's not some, some new trend, of course. Um, so... Subscribers are continuing to grow a little bit, at least for for Comcast. They they were at, they I believe they reported it over twenty million. They don't break this out in the same sort of detail that they break out their subscriber counts and things of that nature. Uh, they sort of put a line in there in the earnings report saying this is how many Peacock subscribers we got, but they do do give a numeric value to it at least. There's no no mere year over year percentage differences as we get for uh, say W viewership on Peacock. Uh, so. Peacock subscribers are still growing a little bit. Um, we also had some big, big news coming out of NBCU in that Jeff Shell, uh, who is the CEO or was the CEO of NBC Universal, he resigned. Uh, this is news that came out 
last week, late Sunday, just after we were done recording uh, last week, uh, an SEC filing was uh, published this past week saying Shell, quote, engaged in inappropriate conduct with a female employee, including allegations of sexual harassment, end quote. Uh, Shell made a statement saying he had an inappropriate relationship with a woman in the company, which he deeply regrets. Uh, he said, quote, I'm truly sorry I let my Comcast and NBC Universal colleagues down, end quote. Shell, who had been uh, with Comcast for about two decades, uh, he left the company immediately. Um, taking his place is NBCU executive Mike Cavanaugh. Uh, he said on the Comcast call that there will be no strategy change at NBC Universal. He's already been part of setting broad strategies with the overall leadership throughout the organization, and Jeff Shell leaving doesn't change that. So, at least we could say, you know, this is not like, say, when Brett White's left uh, WBD when the when the merger went into effect and some leadership changed and there was, you know, AEW anxiety about what that would mean for AEW. Will Will WBD still like wrestling, even though they've got some leadership changes? You know, Kathleen Finch is, is in that role. Anyway, this is a totally different uh, setting here. It's NBCU. They obviously do major business with WWE, both in terms of Peacock. And in terms of Raw and NXT and Miz and Mrs., uh, does this mean maybe the new leaders won't like wrestling? Probably not. Not a, not a big deal at all. Uh, I don't expect this is going to. I don't don't see any reason to think that this is going to be meaningfully different for WWE's current negotiations, perhaps with NBC Universal for for Raw or maybe other properties. Um, but in, in WWE, is so significant within NBCU's umbrella that the idea of, oh, does this person like wrestling? Do they not like wrestling? Probably doesn't play that big of a factor, right? In the sense that, like, USA Network really needs WWE, particularly Raw, um, to survive as a, as a channel. Raw, Raw is USA Network's biggest show by a wide, wide margin. Nikon uses the talking lights. It's the biggest show times three. Um, but it's, I don't know if it's that far ahead, but it's, it's very far ahead of anything else on the USA Network. And I think that um, so it's not like this. This there's differences that come into play, right? Like Kevin Riley, who had a, an executive role with with Turner, was obviously a fan of pro wrestling and believed in in, in Tony Khan's idea, and that's how they ended the up. Original connection, in the, right? In the that's story. how they ended up on yeah. on you know Turner Networks, and that that in in that case it really matters to have like an advocate in a, in someone who really likes pro wrestling or believes in pro wrestling as a as content um going to bat for you right but once you're on the network and once you're delivering you know number one ratings almost every monday night not during football season like wwe raw is and you've been there for 30 years or or for the better part of 30 years um I don't think no, like you don't necessarily need a champion or an advocate uh, for you because your record speaks for yourself and you're so important to the network in general. Um, does what is Bonnie Hammer? Is she fully retired? She has Russell, some sort of WrestleNomics Hall of Famer. You, Bobby, she, Bonnie she, Hammer. She's still on the corporate website as, as some sort of uh, some sort of leader mm-hmm. still with NBC Universal. Um, and for people that don't know, Bonnie Hammer is longtime. NBCU executive who's always been very uh, a big champion of, of pro wrestling and WWE and has played a major role in establishing WWE and, and NBCU's relationship. She's the vice chairman of NBC Universal is her official title. Um, mm-hmm. yes. um, but in she so she's not retired yet because that's one of those things where she was talking about she's going to retire. Like I feel like this is something I, I, that's I been talked Nick, about Nick for like ten years. Mentioned that that they still work with her when he was on. He was on one of his interviews. He, he was asked, 
who do you work with on, on those deals? And he said, well, we're across uh, Pete Bacavella, I think, is, is, is one of the, the names who's often uh, – mentioned in, in me rice negotiations, but, but Jeff Shell and Bonnie Hammer, he mentioned, and I think a few others too. If this was a, if this was Fox and not NBCU Aqua. that was seeing this shakeup, I think that maybe would be a little more consequential because SmackDown on Fox is not necessarily as important to the Fox brand as like Monday Night Raw is to USA or, or the WWE library on Peacock. Um, so I think like if, if that was the case, but because it's NBCU, I don't think it really is going to play that big of a factor. Yes. I thought, I thought th- there was some irony in, in WWE's biggest business partner by a fairly wide margin. There's no doubt about that. Something like 30, 40% of WWE's annual revenue comes from NBC Universal by way of the raw rights, the Peacock rights. Um, CEO of that company had an inappropriate relationship with uh, an employee and resigns. Uh, I would, I would like to be in the room when, when Vince McMahon was briefed on that news. Um, so anyway, if we look at the progression over time of these um, TV rights fees, here's U.S. subscribers across streaming. Peacock is probably, in my estimation, above Paramount+, Plus, uh, but below ESPN+. Plus. So on the lower tier, certainly, of, of where these streaming services are uh, across the U.S. So in, in, in a tier higher than that likely is is well certainly is disney plus hulu and probably the max the combined hbo and discovery plus will will be in that range too and netflix well above the rest of them um and i have here on the chart in the sort of uh bluish green the mvpd does anyone know what mvpd stands for i assume it has something to do with cable subscribers Multi, multi-channel multi video programming distributor, something like that. It's basically ca- cable satellite. And then we have VMVPD, which is the virtual, that is YouTube TV, Sling, Hulu Live. Mm-hmm. So if you combine all that together, I have to do some estimating to get to this number, but you combine all that together, you, you have about 77 million subscribers, and that's declining over time. Are we getting to the point on the current trajectory? Let's say let's take the trailing, I don't know, six quarters or something like that. On that trajectory, are we getting to the point where like that number will be lower than the biggest streaming service, Netflix? Um, it, it's not going to happen anytime soon, but it is going to get closer. That gap is going to get closer. Um, but we probably do. We could say that there's more households that ex- that subscribe to at least one streaming service than there are households that subscribe to traditional pay TV. Um, that's already happening, and so that's I don't know, I don't know what the, what it means, but it's something to, to keep our eye on is is um, the way that people consume media and, and the amount of money that they spend on on that media changes over time. Um, I did Google Trends on Peacock as it's obviously not telling me like what the subscriber rate is, but what's the interest? Are people searching for Peacock more? Cause maybe that means more people are signing up. And what we see in, uh, in, in the Google Trends for Peacock is we've got some really big peaks here for February, 2022. That's gotta be the Super Bowl, right? Of last year. And then we see a really big peak here around Thanksgiving, there were Thanksgiving games, uh, football games on, on Peacock, I'm guessing. Does that sound right? Uh, this, well, pa- this past uh, NBC month. gets the primetime one, so I think they they like co-stream it, yeah. Simulcast, yeah. And was there any bump here for WrestleMania week this year? Yeah, a, a relative bump. It's nothing on the scale of these NFL bumps, as, as you would yeah. expect. The NFL interest is fathoms above uh, WWE interest. But during WrestleMania week, we do see a tick, from, tick up from the following weeks. 
Uh, and what about in the week prior? We do see this bump over here in 2022, which is an increase over the weeks before it. So we are seeing an increase in searching around Peacock around WrestleMania time, which is what, what you should expect, I think, if, if W is really helping that service. And then what about WrestleMania itself? WrestleMania itself, the searches for WrestleMania were at their highest point since at least 2019. I, I, I didn't look at weekly. You don't get weekly granularity if you go further back than a, a time course of like five years. But, we, but searches for the WrestleMania topic were higher in 2023 than they were in 2022, 2021, 2020, or even pre-pandemic 2019, um, which I think is reflective of this this notion that I, I, I believe that, that W interest is, is at a higher point than, than in previous years. Especially with WrestleMania this year. It was definitely, if you compared it to WrestleManias over the past few years, it definitely felt like there was much more interest in the top, you know, match and the top key matches and the angles going into it. Um, and I think that shows that when you have a major star like Dominic Mysterio, that, that metrics are going to increase. <laughs> yeah, super chat comment on on how big of a draw Dominic Mysterio is. Feel feel free to uh, to contend with us here. Um, I had a dream. I was on. A, I was me. I was doing a podcast, and it was last night. I had a dream where it was me, Dominic Mysterio, and Filthy Tom Lawler. We're doing a podcast. Wow. That's an interesting podcast. Is that is that a future episode of the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast? No, but I think the context of it was I was I have a I have a episode I'm recording tomorrow. And I forgot to in in the dream I had forgot to to record it with my person I was supposed to record it with because I was too busy talking to Dominic Mysterio and Filthy Tom on their podcast. I don't know if I have dreams about being on a podcast, but I definitely I have this dreams. Is, this is I, the first one I think I've ever had where I'm hosting a podcast and I had a dream about it. I've definitely had dreams about spreadsheets though. <laughs> <laughs> I have had dreams about programming in Python code. Like you're trying to fill something out and you just can't do it. For I don't some know. Reason. I, I can't describe what the, I can't remember what the, the whole story was, but I've definitely had like Excel spreadsheet dreams <laughs> where I'm in an Excel spreadsheet trying to make something happen. Um, so $28 billion is how much money is being spent by U.S. media companies on annual live sports rights. $28 billion billion dollars almost half of that is coming from the nfl um in form of over 12 billion dollars per year this is not just not the, like the other contracts worth a bajillion billion dollars this is just in one year one year um about 12 and a quarter billion i, I did not include the uh the yet to be completed bar rights that they have to to work out with um the nfl ticket but 12 billion dollars a year just for the NFL, and where do where does, does WWE uh, fall here? They're 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 over here on on the far right. If you're watching in video, and then we have a very small circle over here that is AEW. And if we look at this in a, in a, in a clearer comparison on this slide, uh, we see that I was kind of surprised. I guess that WWE is getting more. This is including the Peacock deal. This is Raw, SmackDown, and Peacock combined. Six hundred and seventy-five million dollars, which is just a little bit more than the NHL gets. So you could say, WWE, a more valuable media property than the NHL. Does, um, is this for these sports leagues, is this factoring in the like local affiliate deals as well? That's true. You, you probably get over 
over WWE when you when you include regional sports networks, even though they're so this is just like collapsed. for the NHL, it's just their deal with this ESPN just, uh, and, and Warner. Warner Brothers yeah, it's just WBD and ESPN combined, mm-hmm. average annual value. Yeah, and that would at least not to say that the NFL isn't crushing everyone else because they definitely aren't. The NFL doesn't have any of those types of deals, right? right? All of NFL programming is on tied up in some sort of national television distribution method, um, as opposed to like NBA and MLB, which also have these, in some cases, very lucrative um, regional sports network deals and things like that, for now at least. Yeah. So NFL is obviously the biggest by more than, it's probably like four times the NBA, something like that. Um, NBA is number two, as you'd expect. Major League Baseball is number three. I guess this, that's a good point. This doesn't include any of the, the RSN money, whatever's left of it. Um, the Olympics are number four. So the major three sports, team sports, and then, then the Olympics are actually number four. This is just U.S. It's not including international. Um, followed by the Big Ten. Followed by March Madness. Followed by the SEC. Followed by NASCAR. These, all, all these properties. More, more uh, live sports revenue than WWE. NASCAR. And the PGA. $700 million a year. And then we get to just under $700 million a year. WWE. Um, Are these current deals too? A, a, a lo- like not with extensions? This is the, the current. Yeah, because Big 12 is probably going to be more than WWE shortly, I think, next year. I'm figuring out that math right now. That, has the, the Big Big 10, what's what's in, in process? Big, uh, Pac-12. Um, I'm not sure. I would have to look. Let's see. Big Big 12. Yeah, is, I think they finalized that. I might be able to tell you here. Look. Maybe I'm confusing with the big. Maybe they didn't finalize yet. Well, and part of these come with who has been oh, no, yeah, negotiated lately and who is not, right? Yeah. I, I think uh, you've you've discovered uh, an error in our data here, Golo. This is this is incorrectly totaling the current and the previous yeah. values for the Big Twelve. So the the current value for the Big Twelve, well, the the next deal, which will begin in 2025, yeah. for which the Big is 12, two point is three hundred six years, yeah, three hundred and eighty. So this this Big Twelve should should be. 380, which would put it between UEFA and okay. MLS. So, so my mistake. Um, but AEW is is more valuable than Notre Dame <laughs> with NBCU. Uh, Wimbledon, which is probably a limited amount of content, and USGA, which is golf? Yes. Okay. And the Big East. Small. I guess Big East is one of the smaller conferences. Yes, and there's no football in the Big East. There's no football in the Big so East. It's, it's really just college basketball. Mm-hmm. The new Big East, the Big East, this, the, the Big East that exists now is like a zombie version yeah. of the old Big East, um, and it's comprised of schools that don't play Division One football. Okay. And now, as we all know, Vince is back overtly. He was really back, probably pulling the strings, maybe before that. But Vince is back and involved in creative. We've heard about some reports that he made changes uh, to Raw ahead of ahead of Raw this week, if I'm remembering that right. Um, and uh, has business collapsed already? Now that Vince is back in control of creative, uh, he's not in the gorilla position apparently, but he's he's remotely making things happen. Um, and it, it's not the case yet that ratings are down. Well, yes, ratings are down from uh, from the, the peak of the post WrestleMania episode, um, but we can't say that in April. And he's been back basically since April. He was at the WrestleMania, uh, the post WrestleMania Raw, um, but in April, TV ratings for both Raw and SmackDown, both total viewership and the demo, were, were still up. Um, and in fact, 
they were up more strongly in April than March. Now that includes a post-WrestleMania Raw episode and a post-WrestleMania SmackDown episode, but so does the year prior, which we're comparing it against in this year-over-year comparison. Raw is up 8%. SmackDown's up 8%. In the demo, Raw's up 20%. SmackDown's up 19%. Even NXT, even that, that, that excellent NXT product that everyone broadly enjoys with um, the, the likes of Braun Breaker and Indy Hartwell, up 14% in April in the demo. Actually down 4% in total viewership, though. Um, Impact's doing well as well uh, of late. Um, consistently in, in that Showbiz Daily Top 150. But Dynamite continues to be down uh, double digits in year-over-year comparisons by month. Um, and those numbers look pretty good for Raw and SmackDown. But I've got even better numbers for Raw and SmackDown. If you look at the younger half of the demo, 18 to 34, SmackDown's up 30% in April. In April, not March, not, not, not in the great Triple H era where it was up only 12%, 8%, up 30%. Raw is up 29% after being up 23% in March. So if Vince McMahon has come back and ruined this product, it's not apparent in the ratings, okay? But wait a minute. Ratings, ratings, uh, let, let's forget about that. What about um, ticket sales? Tickets are not as hot as they used to be, right? Well, oh, here I've got more ratings information. I already made my point. Um, I've got more, more charts <laughs> that, I'm, that I'm just going to speed through here. Um, ticket sales, according to WrestleTix data, uh, Paris, they did a house show. It's higher than last year, same time of the year. Uh, Corpus Christi, SmackDown, that's, I guess it's not a good comparison. We don't have anything to compare it against. Bring up Birmingham, England. Uh, it's up from the last time they were in Birmingham. Rosemont Horizon, W-Raw, it's higher than it's been at any time since the pandemic. Uh, the pay-per-view that they did there in June is the only thing that comes close. So this, this Raw that they did on the 24th had a higher attendance, well, a higher tickets distributed than even the August 2021 post-pandemic pent-up demand Raw that they did uh, at the beginning of the return to touring. Toledo, Ohio house show, no comparison. Fort Wayne, Indiana did better. It's a house show, did better than the last time they were in Fort Wayne about a year prior. Columbus, Ohio, Where, SmackDown. What, where's the Cody logo on these? On these it's, uh, it's, uh, we're, we're erasing Cody. Things. Cody's erased. Uh, I, I don't know. I would, have to, I would have to look up cage matches to see uh, what, what house shows he's been, he's been working. Somebody could pull it up if you want, as I go through this, um, Columbus, Ohio, SmackDown higher than the last SmackDown that they did in Columbus, Ohio, North little rock, Arkansas raw compared to the, uh, the SmackDown that they did about a year prior. It's up, uh, El Paso, Texas, even house show Rio Rancho, New Mexico house show up Lincoln, Nebraska, SmackDown. It's up from the raw. Seattle, Washington, Raw, it's up from the SmackDown. Portland, Oregon, SmackDown, it's up from the Raw. That's almost universally good news. Live and nice. if you could pop that Rio Rancho market, like, that's that's usually, that's what they say in the business, right? Like, Rio Rancho, like, if you do that, then you can do anywhere else. If you can get over in Rio Rancho, you can get over anywhere. Um, yeah. um, I think it's clear that, right, if we if we go back in time, in a time machine to like the Tuesday after the raw after WrestleMania. So two days after WrestleMania. And it was very clear that Vince was back making changes. They had Brock Lesnar beat down Cody Rhodes. Uh, despite the fact that that raw did a gigantic rating, people were very concerned that, uh, you know, WWE is going right back in the tank. Um, and, and, you know, a month removed from that, basically now that we're at the end of April, it's clear that, 
you know, the trend, like they, you know, viewership is down from the peak right after WrestleMania, but seems to be settling in at least over the last few weeks. Um, and as you point out, live attendance is still very strong throughout the month of April. What, so what, it's what clear do you mean that, by settling in, though? I, I don't see a, a ratings being weaker even in these following weeks. Than, right. Than well, I'm saying like what is – so like right? They do, like Raw does what? A 0. .70 for the night after WrestleMania? Was that what they did? I think so, yeah. And and it seems like since then, you know, we've had what? Three episodes and it seems like we're, we're sticking around right like what? Point, somewhere between 0. .56, 0. .57. Yeah, I've got to increase. Here, yeah. And that's with – that is with increased competition as well because you have the NBA and NHL playoffs kicking off. Um, so Monday night's a little bit more competitive. Yeah. And, the, and so the point I, I want to make it, here was that, okay, we have this big, um, I'll try to put the, the red thing on the screen here. Okay. We have this big peak here as people in, in video can see this, this big pop of the rating for, mm-hmm. for the post WrestleMania episode, which is apparently not as high as, as the post rumble. I'm guessing this, this was, or the, um, that was the, the raw, 30, show they or did, the yeah. raw, um, whatever. In any case, um, what we don't see is like in the blue here last year that these numbers are higher than they are this year. We still got the green 2023 dots are higher than the blue 2022 dots. Now they're not as high as the 2021 dots, and maybe 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 that can be dismissed by your cable attrition and all that. But we don't see it's not as if well yeah that was a big number for postmania, but everything after that people have tuned out back to back to normal attrition Vince levels. It's not. It's still up higher than it was last year. Total viewership and the demo. Same story in the demo. And, and what about SmackDown? It's, it's more even, but it's not lower. Uh, in the demo, similar story. Uh, so this, it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm not one to say Vince is great at creative. He's not. But we don't see, at least not a month in, we don't see this, you know, Vince sucks, he's terrible at creative, and it's going to kill the fan interest. That hasn't happened yet. I'll, I'll tell you if it happens. I'll... We'll, we'll talk about it all day if it happens, but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, like, I mean, I was a big proponent. I'm a big proponent of, like, I think Cody should have won at WrestleMania. I think Cody should be the champion and he should have the title all the time and that he should be defending it on a regular basis. And I thought that was the better move because I think Cody's their biggest star. Um, but it's clear at least a month removed from Cody losing that Cody is still a big draw, that Cody is still helping out attendance, that Cody is still providing viewership boosts. Um, so he's not – he hasn't been killed yet. It's possible that continued poor booking does hurt his drawing power, but it's clear that the loss at WrestleMania didn't totally pull the – He's been in the main event of almost every house show uh, since WrestleMania. I just look up whether it's working right, like Cody or himself, he's, Solo Sokoa, yeah. So, so the WrestleMania he's, loss has killed his, his drawing power? No. No, it hasn't. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. That's the – yeah. My point is, is that there was maybe some concern that – he really needed to win at WrestleMania. Otherwise, he'd look like a geek and he'd lose his drawing power. But at least a month removed from that loss, it's he's still a big difference maker when it comes to the bottom line. He's still their biggest star. Um, I guess the question I have is why what, – what would you attribute to the increases in viewership from last year and the increases in house show attendance? What would be like the things you would attribute to that basically? That's a good question. Peacock, Roman Reigns, and Cody Rhodes. First things that come to mind. Okay, so you have. I'll, I'm going to ignore the Peacock point for a second, but 
So like Cody Rhodes and like the bloodline, right, are two angles that have really gotten over and fans are interested in seeing what's going to happen with them. They're tuning in each week. They're maybe going to live shows when they're in town. They're two That's big things. to Sami Zayn for this. He's like a key player. Well, yeah, I'm lumping Sami Zayn and, and, and yeah. the Usos and, sure. and Roman Reigns and Sol Sokoa. They're all in this the, the bloodline aspect of it. But you have two major storylines that are have been basically on every show. Because while they have the brand split, in theory, in the last few months, these stars have been on both shows, especially the Bloodline, um, especially like the Usos and Sami Zayn. They, they're pretty much on both Raw and SmackDown every week. I believe Cody's made some appearances on SmackDown. Um, and Cody's obviously a big star on Raw. And so being able to kind of have your biggest acts on both Raw and SmackDown have probably benefited WWE um, lately and have been kind of responsible in some ways for you know the viewership in april holding up really well uh and so now that you why go into a brand split where you are now going to take your most over acts and kind of superimpose limits on where they can appear and and i want to be clear this this is this this data and and point i'm trying to make does not say anything about a brand split and and any consequence that might have because it's it hasn't you know, the the draft has happened, but the brand split shows and, and, the, and the results of that have not been on the screen yet. Right. And so and, and, I and guess splitting like, the title off again, I think it's, it's a discussion we could have in a moment. Yeah, I, I think it's you have I think you have some really over acts at the moment and being able to use those acts on all of your programming have been really important to WWE and for kind of like an unknown reason they're going back to limiting their ability to appearance appear on both shows. And I don't know why you would do that from a business perspective. Yeah. Um, I mean, looking at, I, I think there's, if you look at these tables that we're looking at here, it would, would show the ratings for raw and for SmackDown monthly on a year over year basis. I, I, it's easy to craft a narrative that Wow, it was SmackDown, and, and I want to say, well, what was big on SmackDown was the bloodline angle, angle and all, all that storyline. That Because what we see is early in the year, we see year-over-year positive differences in SmackDown that we do not see in Raw in, in the late part of the year. Um, in, in September, October, November, December, yes, Raw is going against uh, Monday Night Football, but, but it was in the prior year too, and it's, and it's flat or down. Raw was flat or down throughout the football season compared to last year, also against the football season. But SmackDown started to improve year over year in, in that time, and then Raw followed. Um, who came back at the beginning of the year? Cody Rhodes came back to Raw and was on Raw a lot in the beginning of the year. So it, it, that narrative adds up with the data that I, I, I interpret here. Um, now, I think there's... You know, it, it appears to me a, a, a very much a Vince-driven decision to do a brand split again. Maybe there's some some strategic reasons in terms of making arguments to the two TV companies that you have to renegotiate rights with in terms of saying, wow, the brand split will, will really make the rosters exclusive and will help us, you know, sustain and improve ratings. Um, but the opposite of that is true, right? The ability to have all of the stars on both shows is beneficial to both Raw and SmackDown. Yeah, I mean, like I'm the, not advocating the evidence that, but I'm just discussed. saying that maybe that's a, a thought. Um, I, it's not, not an argument that I would necessarily advocate or defend. Um, it's, uh, the brand split in general has always been something that people have always advocated for because the logic at the most basic level checks out, right? Which is like, we're going to make one show the exclusive home of certain stars. And yeah. since they're the only show that you can watch that are going to have these stars, people are going to want to watch 
that show and that show only. So it makes each Raw and SmackDown feel different and exclusive and all of that kind of stuff. But that's never really been bared out. And no matter how many times that they tried to brand split. Okay. But in 2016, uh, some a really serious thing happened in 2016 when they did the brand split that began in that year in July, 2016 um, SmackDown went from being a B show to being a, a to its its ratings improving quite a bit because it had an exclusive roster and it became no longer just a two hour B show, but it became sort of a separate company, a separate promotion. And I think it, and and subsequently subsequent to that, it allowed WWE to make a better TV deal than they would have otherwise because instead of just dealing out Raw and and a show that wasn't as strong as Raw, they were able to deal out SmackDown to, to Fox at a, a to make a lot more money than they would have otherwise. And it's not necessarily like uh, the brand is not necessarily a, a great idea um, if in a, in a perfect world I would say, but I think it forced Vince to have discipline. It, it played just too, you know, it, it, it addressed some of his weaknesses in not being able to, to be a disciplined booker. Um, so I think it was effective in, in that way for Vince's particular weaknesses. If, if he can stick to the brand split being the brand split and not, yes, coming up with different reasons, Which he has demonstrated in recent years that he cannot. <laughs> the, what, what have they, what have they done? They did, they had the, the wild card rule, right? Yes. Right. There was like a, the Vince three wrestlers mind from rule. each show can show up. Per week, as to if a superstar issues an open a challenge to a wrestler from the other show. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, but we're going back to to brand identity. Do you think that? Do you think that Raw and SmackDown should have different identities for the product? When I was a kid, SmackDown was PG, TV PG, I think, and then Raw was TV fourteen. Mm-hmm. And, and the shows kind of felt Nick, a little Nick talked bit different. With, with Raw Shed guys a couple of weeks ago about maybe we we could in at you know in, in the nine o'clock or ten o'clock hour be more TV fourteen than TV PG. I, I don't know. I don't know that that stuff matters a whole lot. I, I don't think that stuff matters a whole lot in terms. Of, I'm just saying that asking, as, like, can we do violence and blood and, and swear words? I don't think that. that I, I'm, makes not, I'm not saying this is specifically like a more mature product on one brand. Just something that makes it feel different. Yeah from like a, a product perspective and like the Paul Heyman written Smackdowns felt different oh, than what was happening on raw. Well, yeah, it was still WWE, but there was like a real tone to this is a Smackdown show and this is a raw show. And I wonder if that could be implemented today. Cause that would really help differentiate the two products beyond just sure. a roster split. Sure. But I think what we've seen demonstrated in the last six to eight months is that ratings improved without that. So what do you need it for? And and I think a component in this is having one major, at least on the men's side, major champion. And now you're saying, nah, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's comp- it's a complicated issue because you could also are like, okay, does when Reigns comes on, does he pop? Does is SmackDown do a big rating for like the one one SmackDown a month Reigns is on? I, I don't know, but SmackDown ratings improved. In, at the right. end of the year, in the, in the last four months of the year, and they're still improving the first four months of this year. Right. So we could, but can we point to Roman Reigns for that when the evidence shows that when he's on the show, when he's not on the show, differences are relatively the same. Is, him as the key is, player, is, but is the is the idea of Roman Reigns being a big star and the idea that that it's kind of helped um, signify a hierarchy within WWE? Has that helped the rest of the product? Whether even if he's not even there, yeah. Um, interesting idea and i'm sure i'm open to the idea that it's possible yeah I, I think as whether or not 
he's on the screen, his involvement in, in maybe the hierarchy or in the, in the storyline is, is the central part of, of, of what's working about that and has contributed, I think, essentially to SmackDown ratings improving. Um, mm-hmm. And why you would weaken that, I think, is is has no good reason why why you would weaken the, the title that has been a component in him being the person the wrestler that everyone wants to beat and and cannot beat and and is is the goal that everyone is is going towards why you would lessen that is beyond me and it sounds like Vince McMahon I, I wonder if it's to have a touring champion too that will do all make all the house shows make all that like Cody will say if Cody wins this or Rollins or whoever and there were no other belts, you know. There were no other belts, so you had to create a new one. It's true. Roman only has one one title, right? There'd be no way to to get off of him, um, unless I don't. I'm going to talk about creative. Does much. the title mean at all? Like, the, do titles mean anything at all? Realistically, though, Roman Reigns' yeah. title certainly certainly did. Does does it? Yes. <laughs> like I think so. Like I think that has been. If I don't know, as opposed to like as opposed defending to what, not the title. Does defending the title really mean that much to like a rating? What's the, what's like the last Raw time? not having a okay. world champion? Raw okay. not having what's a world champion. What's the last time that, that Roman Reigns defended the, the title on TV? It's got to be last year. Didn't he defend against Riddle? Maybe right. And and it did a huge rating. It's it's right. quarter hour outdid the quarter hour that Vince was on when at the day that Vince was uh mm-hmm. you know whatever he, he stepped right. down so on the, the, the rare the rare title events i guess like i guess my point is like if raw raw has been up a lot year over year in 18 to 49 and like you point out 1834 in april and april started with the message of being raw doesn't have a world champion because the guy who was going to be the world champion on raw lost at wrestlemania um i think in terms of like like is just the Co- Cody being the champion would be important to establishing his character. And I think signifying that he is a true top guy and he's on the same level as Roman Reigns in terms of WWE hierarchy. But like the, I guess like semantic issue of whether or not Cody Rhodes has a, a pro wrestling championship. Is that really that big of a deal relative to like Cody Rhodes just being a big star and having a character that connects with the audience? So what do you, what's the question? Do we overrate the idea that like Raw needs to have a world champion on yes. it, and that like the world title is like a, like a, something that just has to exist for something to feel important? The world title did exist, and it doesn't now. Is, is sort of my view on it, or at least it doesn't exist as potently as it did a couple weeks ago. No, yeah, no, no. I'm not talking about the introduction of a new title. I'm just saying in general, is the world title like as a as a as a as a, a um. Now, when you say world title, are you talking about the the, the title that, that Triple H introduced on Monday? A recognized world championship. Okay. It doesn't necessarily have to be a specific title or not, but the idea that Raw needs a world champion. Um, I don't to, think so. To draw because they their rating, look, look at their ratings. They had, didn't have their own world champion in the yes, last. Yes, this is my this is precisely my point. I'm agree. We overrate the idea of like a world championship mattering. Yes. Yes. The turnaround on Raw has not been because there's a new world champion on Raw. The turnaround in Raw has largely been because Cody Rhodes is a big star that the fans believe in and the fans want right. to see. Not necessarily that he has a has a world championship belt. Right. And there at least weren't signs that I could see telling us that his failure to win the title at WrestleMania was a detriment to certain fan, you know, fan interest indicators. Didn't see that, at least not yet. 
Um, and I, it, it, it seems to me that it's, it's not, it's not broken, but we want to fix it anyway. Um, uh, which is, uh, a signature of, of one Vince McMahon. Um, so SmackDown rating looks like it was up. We'll see uh, on Monday. Stock is way up still. Um, and LWO is, uh, at the top of, of our, of our merchandise analysis, uh, appears to have been for the third week in a row, the most popular category on WWE shop. Uh, you can get that report as part of the subscription at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics, as well as TV ratings analysis almost every day. And uh, this coming week, it's going to be WWE Q1 earnings uh, Wednesday morning, 8.30 a.m., a, a, a rare early morning WWE earnings call. Probably not with Vince McMahon, but with Nick Khan. Uh, and I'll be talking about that with John Pollock on Thursday uh, in the afternoon. Uh, the WrestleNomics Pro Wrestling Industry Report is still a part of the Patreon subscription as well as it is available on PayHip for just $6. And uh, finally. Oh, I was going to say before we did that. Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. okay. Yeah. Uh, we do have a super chat that came in a little bit after a topic okay. a couple topics ago. So let's address that and then we'll go to the okay. draft. Uh, super chat is from Big Time Baxter. Was WWE badly underpaid by NBC Universal Comcast before Fox came in? Well, so before Fox, before the 2018 deal, W for, for both Raw and SmackDown was getting about $130 million a year for both Raw and SmackDown. As we know, they're getting $470 million a year now from the combination of NBCU and Fox. I mean... Badly underpaid is like, I don't know, what, what's, what's the cost of, you know, what, what's the, the appropriate value of some asset? It's what people are willing to pay for it. And when they made their deal in 2014, that $130 million deal with NBCU, that's what NBCU was willing to pay for it. And W apparently didn't get a deal that was, didn't get an offer in the alternative that was good enough uh, to, to leave. I, but however, in 2014, part of what contributed, I believe, to it to a, a weaker deal than they would have gotten otherwise was the fact that they did the W Network at that time. Vince McMahon said as much in earnings calls that launching the network seems to have made uh, NBCU hesitant. And I think there is some concern that maybe the launch of the network would put content out there that would take away from W ratings, maybe. Um and they didn't get as strong of an upgrade. The the two X to three X upgrade that Vince had hyped to, um, I believe, is Mike Mike Hickey from Benchmark, promising Mike Hickey that he could put him in a hammerlock if they didn't get at least a two X upgrade. They only got a one point seven X upgrade. Um, so I think the the choice to do the network, one of the costs of it was a weaker TV deal than they would have gotten otherwise. In that sense, you could say that they were underpaid. Um, but a huge huge factor in getting a bigger and better deal was strengthening SmackDown uh, to a degree that, that made it a far more valuable show. And that was because of the brand split. Mm -hmm. And I don't like the brand split. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. I think we're ready. That was the only super chat we got. So this is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall. He knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. 
Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So now, we are ready from our respective war rooms to begin the WrestleNomics draft, where we will, the, the three of us from our, our war rooms, we will select five wrestlers, five apiece, and what, do you want, what, what should we do here? We, should, we, we haven't fully laid out these parameters, but should we check back on this in six months, in a year, at the end of the year? And calculate that this is how we're going to have to calculate it, I think, is calculate of our five wrestlers on a daily basis. What is the what was the average ELO? That's, that's the chess scoring system. What was the average ELO of our five wrestlers? Um, six months. Can we, can we let's let's yes, let's why don't we just do the end of the year? The end of the year. OK, because that's a nice time frame. It could help me evaluate what I'm going to be drafting on. Fair enough. OK. And um, so this is going to be based on ELO, ELO score. These are this is the ELO top five or top one hundred. You've heard of the PWI top five hundred. This is the ELO top one hundred. And as of the other day, number one is Jade Cargill with her. Uh, basically, if you've got over a fifteen hundred, you're doing really well uh, because I think I have a distribution chart here that that tells you sort of where out of like this is like five thousand wrestlers that are represented here and. If you're doing over 1,500, you're you're in the top 400 or so out of 5,000. Uh, to, to give you an idea of what's a good ELO score and what's a bad ELO score, the the, the who, who has the lowest ELO score is Stalker Ichikawa, of course. But I think he's due. He's due for some wins, so he's, I might he's consider some matches in his life. Uh, so uh, th- th- there's the rules. Hope you, hope you had a chance to read them over. Uh, basically, now, are if, we? Yeah, are we starting? E- are we, is everyone going to start with their what their ELO is now? Yes. And then we're going to add that to the end so. of the year? Or we're, so, we're not going from starting today, everyone's ELO is the same score, and it's going to go up based on I how think many I think I, I want to do... Yeah, no. We're going to do... Because then... Okay. We're, we're going to do starting today. So if, if this was a one-day contest, you just, you just want to pick all the top names, and whoever happened to get the most names with the best score right. would be the winner. So... Starting tomorrow, you'll get day one, your five wrestlers get calculated into your daily average. And that will continue every day through the end of the year. Now, if an activity does come into play here, if one of your wrestlers doesn't have a match for 90 days, looking at you, Roan Reigns, then you you, you stop being included. Now, it doesn't count as a zero, but it just stops being included into your average. Does this make sense? Somebody becomes injured. Somebody's Brock Lesnar. Their your score is only going to count for ninety days since your last match. CM Punk. CM Punk's not on here because he's been inactive that long. I don't know what his score would be if not. But um, and when you've been inactive for ninety days, your score starts to degrade. It's all in the fine print here. Um, <laughs> so with that in mind, uh, 
What else have I got here? This this is this is how the men rank. John Moxley's number one among men, followed by Okada, followed by Josh Alexander. But you don't you don't go off the list as soon as you're injured. You have to be inactive for 90 days. So you even if you get injured, you're still good for 90 days because I can't, based on cage match results, tell if you're injured. You know. Right, but Josh Alexander, I don't think is going to be wrestling for right within the time frame to stay on the list. Right, and when you're when you're you know making your picks, you got to keep that in mind, I suppose. So he will. I guess, like my question is, should, like, would it? My question is, would my question is, would it make sense to pick somebody who's maybe not ranked highly? Yeah. Uh, Can you the, say it again? Say, say it again, Jesse. My question is, does it make sense for? to draft someone who's maybe not ranked that highly in ELO at the moment who can climb up this list because maybe we think they're going to get a big push soon. Right, exactly. I think, like, whoever you think is going to have a lot of wins over people who have good ELO scores, that's who you should pick. Okay. Now, now who's ranked highly might be an indicator of that, but only Vince and Tony know. And maybe Paul. And others. This is not limited to WNAW, but WNAW's and it's just a lot of New Japan here too. Um, those wrestlers tend to be the highest. This is a total universal cage match database here, um, and it does does turn out that the the way that this is calculated, uh, no house shows are included in this, uh, but the way that this is calculated, we do end up with a lot of WNAW wrestlers um, in the in the top ranks here. I think it, it t- probably tells you something about WWE's booking in that Roman Reigns is number four, and there's no other men in the top ten from WWE. Um, I think it maybe just tells you something about the parody of W's booking. And this is factoring things like house shows where heels pretty much lose all no the house shows, house shows are, unless they're really... No house shows are calculated oh, here. Okay. House shows before 1985 only. So no, no, no house shows where faces would just predictably win most of the matches. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I did have a... Uh, I do have this... This, this is how the, the top, what, 20 has changed over time over the last 365 days for people watching in, in video. Uh, Thunder Rosa was at one point number one uh, back in, back in you know, last summer or so when she was uh, the AW Women's Champion. Um, Okada climbing up and down the ranks. Uh, Josh Alexander often doing well. Wardlow was in the top 10 for a while. Uh, Rowan Reigns struggling to stay in the top 10. Uh, s- someone named Mentalo, who I think is like a Canadian indie wrestler, doing very well. He's not not doing a lot of jobs on the, the Canadian indies. I guess not. Uh, Will Osprey getting in there a bit, but then falling back down. Uh, Kento Miyahara, Minoru Suzuki, Hikaru Ishida. Uh, Okada had some moments being number one overall as we, as we slow down towards the present here. Um, Athena's doing really well right now. She's the number two uh, woman on the chart and there we are we're in the present so that's that's where we're at with that i hope my my video held up there uh so i will uh we'll, we'll do i'll pick last and do we want to do you suggested go snake snake style yeah drafting snake style does that involve uh jake rob no is that is that what is that so that means like so like if you have the last pick you'll get the pick twice and then it will go like reverse order so, like, one, two, three, and then, you know, that third also picks the fourth pick, and, you know, so on. Okay. Do you want to pick first, Skull? Sure. Uh, I've been kind of looking at this, analyzing this. Um, 
go Jay Cargill. She's still holding strong with that title. Okay, that's so she's not. I mean, even if she loses, it's not yeah. like she will drop tremendously. But she's got the undefeated streak. I think that's a pretty good pick. Um, so n- now you're you're the official uh, draft regulator here. All now we go to uh, yes. Who gets one pick? Yes, he gets one pick. Yeah. Okay, Brandon, have you? Do you, you don't play fantasy <laughs> sports ever? I, I played fantasy football uh, years ago. I had a fantasy football team. <laughs> Um, I love the Jade Cargill pick. That's who I was going to pick. Um, but I will pick it. about that. Yeah, we're going to go live to, to, to Todd McShay. He's actually been talking to me about it. Um, I'm going to go with Athena. Okay. That's a pretty good pick. Um, who is, like, number five right now. Um, and I don't see her push, like, stoppings. I think she's a dominant champion. She's going to be presented as such on television each week. Yeah. Uh, so- so do I get yes. two now? Yes. Okay. I will take John Moxley. Um, he he just lost to Adam Page on the pay per view, right? Uh, or did Adam Page yes. win that match? Moxley no, won. That Adam match. Page okay. won. And <clears throat> I will take Camille is ranked pretty highly here. Um, Josh Alexander is probably going to fall off. Athena's already taken. I guess. I guess I will take Roman Reigns because Roman Reigns is not losing for like a year, right? At least. Um, okay. Now, second round. Now, does does Jesse get two picks in this round? No, no, no. You just got two because you were the last. So, like, when I go, I'll, I'm only gonna yeah, I'm only gonna yeah. ever have one pick, and then Gullo is gonna have two picks. But that'll be my first. Pick. Yeah, but now uh, Gullo is going to pick the last pick in round two. Is going to you be both Gullo. totally understand? Yeah, it's the first pick I, I just don't. So okay, three. okay, great. You, <laughs> Okay, so Gallo picks. Well, no, Jesse picks. <laughs> yeah, I'm Jesse picks. Okay, okay, okay. Are you doing a bit? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, this is very interesting. This is a very interesting exercise. Um, Look at the uh, the top, top 100 on the screen here. I'm just, I'm curious. I really would like, uh, I guess what I'm really missing is I'd like a, a better understanding of like how quickly someone can rise someone who's not here right well that's why i I tried to illustrate in in this uh this bar race was like how how does the movement happen yeah i have a question if somebody beats wins say a triple threat or a four-way do they get a higher elo score because they beat multiple people let's let's consult the uh the rules here um uh because that is addressed somewhere here in the rules what kinds of matches are analyzed three ways this includes so only singles matches are considered but that includes typical that includes one-on-one but also multi-opponent matches battle royals will also count um no tag matches are counted in any form i probably should have told you that earlier um all wrestlers entire entire singles histories uh so here, here's here's the answer to your question. A winner of the match with multiple opponents, for example, a three-way, four-way battle royal, is rewarded as if they beat a wrestler with an ELO rating that is the average of the other participants. Okay. So you don't get multiple credit. You kind of just get a... a you you, you win as if you beat the, the average of your opponents. Someone with the average ELO of, of your opponents. Hmm. And it's a very complicated math formula. I could show you the math formula, but I I couldn't explain it to you. But I have. I'm going to take. So I'm going to take Wardlow. Wardlow. Okay. And now it's Jesse's turn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to take Gunther. 
and then okay. oh, go and now it's yeah, oh, like too. Two. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. Snake style. And then I'm going to take Sonata. Sonata. Is Sonata all yeah. caps, Sonata? Yes. Okay. Now, no one has taken Okada yet, right? It's my turn. No, right? it's Jesse's turn. <laughs> it's my turn. Um, I'm going to take Camille. Okay. Is it Camille or is it Camille? Camille, I think. I, I'm not sure. Okay. I'll have to consult with Joe Lanza because he's the only person still watching NWA. <laughs> uh, along with all the Fox News viewers who are, you know, crossover from from uh, Gutfeld. Is my pick now? Yes. Now you have to get two picks. I yes. get two picks. Yes. Again? All right. Well, I'm taking Okada. Uh, and geez, who's left here? <sighs> Osprey's hurt. Is Osprey hurt? No, he's clear, right? He's he recently just came back, I believe. Um, Orange Cassidy probably gonna keep that all uh, that uh, all Atlantic title, that international title, whatever it's called. Um, is anybody else gonna like go on like a big big hot streak that we anticipate some big push for in the in the latter half of 2023? Um, so we're, we're we're leaving Josh Alexander off because he's got what he's got a pretty serious injury, right? What has he got? He tore his ACL, I think. Oh wow, he's yeah, he's probably out for like eight to twelve months, right? Yeah, he might have. It might have been. I just. I can't remember specifically what the injury is, but it was one of those eight to twelve month injuries, and I think it might have been Torres ACL. He might have Torres Achilles or something else, but okay. it was a pretty nasty injury for him. Sheeta, has she wrestled in a while? Has she not wrestled in, in, in some time? Is she on here? I don't uh, think she's been around since the uh, since the yeah, page. She hasn't wrestled or, since March twelfth. She wrestled on March twelfth. Yeah, okay, she wrestled on March twelfth though. Um, but it's not like she's about to win a title or something like that to really right because who's I mean. It's Jay Cargill and, and Jamie Hayter. Uh, if you're just beating people on Dark, that's not a bad well, way to, to rack yeah, up. Dark that's why Amazon is so high. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, I'll go with Akaro Shida. So now that's my pick. No um, idea how, how you guys know this. Okay. Here's the top 100. We have still left here Will Ospreay out of the top slots here. Of course, Josh Alexander, Minoru Suzuki, Wardlow. Watch Gold's cursor here on the Google slides here. That could ind- indicate that he might be picking Shinko Takagi soon. Uh, like, the thing is, like, I don't trust Noah to book anyone well. Uh, so, like, some of these promotions, like, like I, I kind of want to pick Jake Lee. I'm like, oh, they just made him GHC champion. Like, he's going to get a lot of Is he even the top wins. 100 here? I don't see He is. He's, in the, he's near the top of the second column. Um, but like, okay. he, he uh, like Noah's like, like a really poorly booked company, and even though they just made him champion, uh, he might not be. Oh, Kumia is up up here in the top in the first column. Yes, yes. Um, but I would never stake anything on on Kaito Kiyomiya winning a big match. Um, so I'm gonna go with Bianca Belair. Bianca Belair. Yeah. Okay. And it's Gull's pick now? We're going to go Orange Cassidy. Okay. And then... Do you have two picks? Yes. And this will be my last pick, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Let's go Hook. No one's really stopped Hook yet. Yeah, where is he on here? Where is is Hook? He's in towards the bottom of the first column. Yeah, there he is. Okay. So Hook. And now now who picks? Justin. 
It's my turn. Okay. This might, this might come back to what is wait if, if are people who have not. I don't know if this man is eligible, um, because he hasn't wrestled. I don't know when last time he wrestled was, and I don't see him in the top one hundred. But can I draft Nick Aldis? You can. You can draft anyone you want. Okay. I'll take Nick Aldis as my kind of wild card pick. Okay. Oh, man. Now, now I have a pick. I have one more. Um, <clears throat> he took Sonata way down here, but he is the champion. He's, he's probably bound to rise unless he's a short-term champion. Um, let's see here. Da- Daisuke Sekimoto is ranked pretty highly here. Is he getting booked strongly in, like, was it All Japan? Big Japan? Big Japan. I know he's Big, big Japan. Japan, but he's probably working in All Japan too, right? I, I, he hasn't been working in All Japan from what I can tell. I, I actually can't tell you where he's working, but I've been following at least the Champions Carnival, and he's not in the Champions Carnival. Um, and he has I don't think he's been around in All Japan for a little bit. Okay. Did, did Siri win a title on, on that Stardom show that I only watched the main event of? I haven't watched the, the Stardom show. I couldn't tell you. Right, there's a lot of value here in some of these smaller promotion right. stars that are maybe just beating the crap out of people. Right. If, if, oh. if you're if you're following the Pro Indies, man, you got an advantage here. My issue, yeah, my problem with the Pro guys is I don't know how many singles matches some of these people are going to wrestle. Right. Like if we're talking about how many big, like even if Sonata is champion for a long time, like how many big singles wins is he really getting? He's you know he has two or three title defenses over a six month span. Plus you have the G one coming up in New Japan, and your top stars are going to lose to some other top stars. Right. There could be a lot of volatility there. Yeah, yeah. That's I was that's why I was a little afraid to take them. But perhaps you could also say if someone goes like nine and one in their G one block and they beat a bunch of other top stars, that'd probably give them a big yeah. boost too. All right, I, I will I will take Shingo. Take Shingo Takagi. She's just lost. Just lost two days ago. Okay, we lost this he's, camp. He's still ranked, uh, unless this this that match was not calculated here. He's still ranked. He was what? He just one, lost to Tai Chi. Four, five, six, seven, eight, eight. He's number eight. That, that was for the King of Pro Wrestling title. I'm surprised none of us took Enrique Cido. Who? He's 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 second from the bottom in the third column. I'm just picking random. Uh, Marco names Estrada, here. Joe Henry. That I don't. Chris Vice. I know who Joe Hendry is. Yeah. Tomihana Kaiser. Ryan. I don't know who that is. Uh, it's a very interesting. I almost wish we had more than five rounds because this is a. Ve- I, I think this is very interesting. Okay. I think this would be popular on other podcast formats. I think people would be into this because I think it's it's a very interesting thought process of who do you want to get drafted and to me at least it seems like the people who are going to be in AEW um, are good picks because of AEW Dark and just they're going to get singles matches and they're going to wrestle people. Um, like a lot of the Puro... Will, like, will not wrestle on Dark. Like, the big names will... I mean, John Moxley probably not going to wrestle on Dark if he does this very few times, right? Right, but... Um, although, like, a guy like Wardlow, like, I could just see, like, Wardlow's going to win a lot of te- short television matches in the next few months. Right. Just won a title. That's gonna help probably him. not going to be a short title reign. Yeah, I mean, maybe it is again, but it probably shouldn't be. And so, like, those people, like, Camille and, like, I took women. Like, I took Camille, Athena, um, Bianca Belair. Especially, like, Athena, I think, is, like, a, like a really strong pick. That's why I picked her first piece. Just because I see she's getting a big push in Ring of Honor. She's going to be wrestling, like, on, like, every, I don't know, every week on Ring of Honor, but frequently on television. Yeah. And she's going to be protected, and she's going to beat people. Right, and that's rack, kind of the person I'm looking for. Here. I think Moxley's going to lose probably some more matches Mm. I think he's wrestling Kenny Omega uh, on oh, May 10th. Right. That's right. 
I think he's probably going to lose that match. Maybe he wins it. Um, that was that kind of shied me away from him. Um, and that's why Jade is the best pick, right? Because Jade is going to she's not going to lose until maybe Statlander comes back. Yeah, maybe Chris Statlander is coming back very soon, but who knows? Um, and at that point, she's probably not going to lose a bunch more matches, right? Right. Even if she lost to Chris Statlander, she wouldn't lose her next twenty matches or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I guess what we'll have to do is is like create some sort of dashboard. Maybe we'll put it on the website or something, and uh, so, and that that will like automatically calculate each person. That will show each person's ELO, and then then give our daily average or something like that. It'll be a uh, if, if if this uh, gets over well, maybe we'll expand this project into something more if people enjoy this. So that's it. I think that's all I've got. I like this theme music you put on. Yes, this is this is our royalty free sports show music. Any plugs before we sign off? No, I mean, Gentlemen's Wrestling Podcast. I'm going to have a new episode coming up later this week. Um, you can find that on any of your podcasting app uh, devices or services. It's a Gentlemen's Wrestling Podcast. Um, had an article run on Voices of Wrestling this week talking about Vince McMahon and kind of the dual standard that society just seems decides to treat him by as opposed to other powerful media executives who have been undermined by sexual assault allegations and other similar allegations um, that people can check out. It's gotten a lot of hits I know for VOW this week. Um, so people can check that out. Uh, Are you a draw for VOW? Um, yeah, I would say like, I'm, I wouldn't say like I'm Hulk Hogan, but I would say like, maybe like, you know, the Cody Bret Hart. Oh, Bret Hart. Okay. Oh, I wish I was Cody Rhodes. Like realistically, like Cody Rhodes is a Hall of Fame, like as a Hall of Fame, his Hall of Fame case, um, this year is very interesting as far as just like is he on the ballot? The last time is, is, he, is he officially on the ballot? He has been on the ballot before. Cody Rhodes has been on the ballot before. I'm pretty sure. And then he, um, he fell off. Yeah. yeah, and then he fell off. Like he was on like two years ago. Okay. And then he fell off. But I would say that he has built a very strong case for himself. If you just look at the difference in drawing power. We haven't seen an American wrestler do that in quite a long period of time. Yes. Um, um, MJ from NJ is po- pointing out that no pu- punk. Nope. Nope. No punk. Um, he was screaming about we, we could have picked CM Punk. Yeah. No one picked CM Punk. We could have picked CM Punk. Well, we'd hear him if he could string more than two words together. Yes. So punk could be, could have been picked, but we did not pick him. Um, he did rank quite highly when he was on the chart, but he's been inactive. So his, his, his score has been degrading in his inactive, active time. I think it's still pretty high, though. It'll be very interesting to see how frequently he wrestles when he comes back. Is he going to wrestle every week on that Saturday show, or is he going to wrestle every other week? Or is he going to be like MJF, where he's only going to work a few big matches, but it'll be a presence on the shows? Health-wise, is it wise to have him wrestle like every other week or, or, or such on uh, Collision, if that's the show that he's going to be on? Right. I think his utilization from that aspect is very interesting to follow. Okay. All right. We will be back uh, next Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Right? Yeah. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening and subscribing. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.